Hey guys, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is Chase McCallum, my co-host. Uh, we took the week off last week. I wasn't feeling great. There wasn't a ton to talk about, but we are back this week to look at just some of the early notes from the year and uh, what has happened. We figured we would break down the biggest signing of the um, season, which is uh, an extension for one Nico Heischer of the New Jersey Devils. He got seven years at an average of $7.25 million. Uh, I really like this deal from the Devils' perspective, but I want to get your thoughts on it. I'm, this deal confuses me because I was told the RFA market has shifted. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for one team it has. <laughs> yeah, like, there were some people that actually didn't like this contract. And... To dislike this contract, you basically have to pay absolutely no attention to the New Jersey Devils and then put absolutely no thought into it. Yeah, I think the people who thought this contract was too much was a mix of what you said and people who just stare at the point sheet and then go from there. Yeah, well even like, I pointed, the saddest thing is, if you just divide points by ice time, he's 54th in the league in points per 60 throughout his age 18 and 19 year old seasons. Yeah, like, I I was shocked to see that people were not happy with this. Yeah, like, I couldn't believe it was controversial. I think it like it's in case you need to know, like it's really really good. Like this is a great deal for the Devils. Uh, I mean, again, we talk about you know RFA's like he sure just got fifty million dollars guaranteed money, so I can see why he take it takes it as well. But for the Devils, like this is great. Uh, I mean, his year is one of the most underrated young players in the league, in my opinion. Um. He has the da- uh, he has the disadvantage of being from a draft, being a first overall pick in a draft that is kind of sandwiched in between a bunch of like elite talent level years when he's maybe not quite I don't know if elite, but like he's very 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 good. He's not like a Matthews McDavid, probably Dalene caliber player, but yeah, that doesn't mean you're not worth seven point two million dollars. Yeah, and I think at his age, it's much better to give him this kind of money than say Hayes like. The Flyers did. Oh, 100%. Right? So, yeah, I think that the Devils, uh, this is a really smart deal. Um, You know, they got it done at the beginning of a season where he could very well break out if he plays with Taylor Hall again all year. Wouldn't shock me Or even for half the year. We'll get to that in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I think, I don't have too much to say. I, I think, you know, he drives play relatively well. You know, he doesn't put up, he hasn't put up massive points yet, but... I mean, the other stuff that he does shows you that you should be pretty happy with the overall player that you got a pretty good deal. Yeah, he drives play well, produces play at 5-on-5. He just doesn't really score or play much on the power play. And I don't know enough about the Devils to tell you if that's because he's actually bad in the power play or not. But as a 19-year-old who can do all of these things well at the NHL, I would see no reason why he can't do those things in the future. He feels like someone who should be pretty good on the power play. I mean, right now, I guess right now they have Jack Hughes. I don't know who they had last year, but their first power play unit is Palmieri, Hughes, Simmons, Vatten, and Taylor Hall. Um, and then Hishie, Zaka, Wood, Gusev, Subban. I guess that's fair. Like, in terms of, like, maybe he knocks off Palmieri there in that first unit, but... Palmieri's not... just, like, such a good shooter to have. Yeah. There, maybe Hughes, I guess. But, yeah, again, Hughes like, probably be I feel like a lot of people would take Hughes's uh, offensive upside over uh, Hishier's right now. 
and Simmons is your net front guy. You're not going to have Hishier on the power play just <laughs> sit in front of the net. So. No, you want him as your zone entry guy. Exactly. So, I don't know. Like, I, may, I guess it depends where, you know, who was all ahead of him last year. Because I can't really think of someone who should have been ahead of him last year in that Hughes spot. But I don't know. Um, he did play on the power play a lot last year. He just didn't do well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I like the deal a lot from uh, New Jersey's perspective. I think if you're a New Jersey fan... Um, this should encourage you to Taylor Hall staying a little more, uh, locking down your core like this, and a good piece of your core. Yeah. Um, I guess let's get into the Taylor Hall thing, maybe. Um, so there's been reports now that, I mean, New Jersey had an absolute awful start to the season. They started like, I can't remember if it was 0-4, 4 one or something, or maybe 1-4-1. They're 2-4-2 right now, dead last in the Metro, and they're, always, they're already pretty far behind. Um, they're six points out already yeah um so you know it's very early obviously but i think saying this team was a playoff team was being hopeful at the beginning of the year anyways or you know a, definitely an undisputed playoff team i don't think there was anyone who was saying that um no. we we had them kind of you know on the edge well maybe they could compete maybe not it's still early but uh you know the way the season started already they were talks of you know um opening taylor hall had opened uh, told his agent that they can open negotiations so they're trying to get this done early because you know, if they don't come to something at the trade deadline and they're quite out of the playoffs, there's a very good chance that Taylor Hall gets moved. Oh, I would hope they move, unless they're looking like a lock for the playoffs and you're not like 100% confident you can resign them. I would hope they move on from them. Yeah. They're um, not a team in the position to be holding the massive asset that is Taylor Hall. To... They shouldn't be John Tavarising him. No, absolutely much. not. Um, because yeah. you should be able to get... A ton for Taylor Hall at the deadline. You get a first and probably a solid prospect, and like as a well. really good prospect yeah. or two firsts or something like that. Like you should be looking for the Stone deal ish. You might even be yeah. able to get more because I think Hall is probably he probably has a bigger name value than I Stone. So. I would assume he's got that MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, first it'd, overall it'd pick. Be Stone went for Branstrom a second and then another pick, I believe, maybe a fourth or something. And people were not happy about that, but I mean. At the end of the day, they decided to go for the elite prospect instead of a first, which I think is fair enough. I think that um, was the move. But, uh, yeah, I think if you're uh, New Jersey, I don't know who would be in the market for acquiring him, but if you want to focus it around that, you have a very, very good like top-tier prospect. Maybe you go a first and call it a day. Or, you know, even maybe a fifth or something like that yeah, as well, right? But, small, maybe. Yeah, but... I, I think that absolutely could be the return, especially if he has a very good year. But, you know, he's coming off of injury as well, and he needs to prove that he is still the player he was a couple seasons ago. But, yeah. Um, I guess my question for you is, let's say that, uh, like, what is the max contract, if you're New Jersey, you would give Taylor Hall? He's 27 years old, and he'll be turning 28 in about three weeks. So, assuming he ends this season the way last year went, which was really, really good, just short. So, like, if you extrapolate that out, Probably eight by ten and a half, eight by ten, something like that. I would go. Yeah, I'm, I guess my question is more uh, with Taylor Hall. Do you see him as like the type of guy who you feel comfortable, even with your young team, paying for the next four or five years, knowing the John Tavares thing, kind of with the Leafs, but with Taylor Hall? Like, yes, you, I do. You, you do? Okay. I would assume that would be fine. I mean, like, with the Devils, I don't know what option you have. You're kind of committed to this team now, so... But... Would you... Like, 
would you feel comfortable doing the Panarin with Hall? I guess was probably what his number one comparable comes down to. What did he get? Eleven and a half? Yeah, I think it was eleven six. Like I guess. But like, so ideally, then you leverage being able to give him the eighth year to yeah, bring the AAV yes. down a little. Yeah, like probably. I don't see why Hall wouldn't be close to what Panarin's worth. I just my only concern for New Jersey would be that they're not quite ready to be on the competing cusp yet. And in a couple years, now I guess part of that is the Hishio deal is going to look very, very good in a couple years. So maybe you look in a couple years when you need the cap space, is Taylor Hall's deal going to be detrimental? And maybe not. That like is a risk. I'm just that, that's the only question I think if you're New Jersey you have to ask yourself. But oh, it's something you have to think long and hard about. Like you said, he will be 28, so there's it's going to be a risky contract. Even considering the fact that Taylor Hall's like a top ten player in the world, yeah. But I mean, I, I think if you look at, um, you know, the other the salary structure on their team, it's not like they have a ton of money just locked up. What Sorry about that. Someone maybe just died in Chase's house. Might have been Larry. Probably. Um, their money, you know, uh, they have Hishier is now their longest locked up deal. They have Subban for two more seasons after this one, so. You know, you would assume that in two years is kind of when they'd be in that cap crunch because Subban comes off the books when Hughes' RFA deal is up, Which or is first year deal is up. So that's a good thing. And then the only deal they have for more than three years is uh, Damian Severson at $4.1 million. So this team is in a very good spot going forward to handle their young players coming up. So, you know, I guess they don't have to be as worried as, you know, maybe some other teams are. Yeah, exactly. And, like, ta- like. You just need a handful of top-end pieces if you want to be a contender. If you're New Jersey, Hughes and Hishie basically have to turn out as those guys, or you're screwed anyways. And then Taylor Hall is just another one of those pieces, and then you basically just have to figure out the depth below them. Yeah, I mean, they still need to work on, I think, you know, the decor a little bit here. Like they, 100%. They have a lot of, not a lot, they have work to do, though, to still make this team another step into the, okay, this is going to be a really good contending team. Assuming that this early season struggles from Jack Hughes are just noise, which I think is a fair bet, uh, Ty Smith and Mackenzie Blackwood's development become really, really, really meaningful for this team. Yeah, um, because right now on the defense for if you're looking say in a five-year output i don't think pk suban's a guy you're going to be relying on in three four five years no nope. uh then their other defense andy green 36 years old probably not sammy vatnin's already 28 i like damian severson enough he's 25 so maybe he'll he probably could he there. could still be there uh uh mirko mueller 24 maybe but again he's not if he's the second guy you're putting there right now that's probably not yeah. ideal um, so yeah, they definitely need to find a little more young talent going forward, and even that's why I think even if they struggle, but sell Taylor Hall and okay, yes, like we're struggling right now, but you know we get another good couple, like another higher pick this year, uh, and we'll be good. Yeah, selling Hall I think is the safe move. Yes, they should be yeah. able to get a, what a top. It already looks like they're gonna get like a top ten pick this year because. I think I did have them third, but it's, that division was so murky to begin with that now Mike already has them at, like, 24% chance to make the playoffs. Yeah. I guess Will Butcher's also on the IR for Lepidenti. But, yeah, I think well, the one thing for them is they need some goaltending. Yeah. Like, I don't know what their... Hold on, let me look up their team save percentage right now. Um, but I know Schneider started the year just abysmal. Blackwood's and, rocking an 80-86. Schneider has a... 
897. Yeah, in so fewer games, 800 but, yeah. goaltending is just not going to do it. You need a save. And, you know, again, it's part of, you know, if this team had some goaltending, I'm sure they'd be competing in this division within, you know, a wild card spot kind of area. But the problem is, how do you fix that right now? Because I think it was Adam Wild on the SDP was suggesting maybe they go and look at spending a first to go get a goalie. Oh, God. That no. is insane. That is nuts. Are you kidding me? Just to try and make the eighth seed of the playoffs to get absolutely blown out by whoever the first seed on even if even compete in five games again like they did in Tampa two years ago. Yeah, no, giving up a first would be pretty nuts, giving especially up, in this draft. Yeah, when you giving are, up anything, you don't have your second and third in one of the quote deepest drafts in a while. Yeah, that would that would not be something that would make me very happy. And then the suggestion was Devin Dubnik too. Like that's not going to help anything. If you could trade. Like, Dubnik's one of those guys, too, whose raw save percentage looks makes him look way better than he actually is. Yeah, and even this year, his raw save percentage is bad. Is it down? Well, yeah. everything's just raw. I'll just Minnesota, say, we can get, so we can get to Minnesota in a second, but here, take a guess at what... I haven't actually seen it either. Like, okay. I, it was really bad last time I said I'm going to call 880 is the save percentage. What do you think yours... Go 890. 880 on the dot. How about sure. that? <laughs> Like, that's how bad he has been this year. In seven games, he has averaged almost four goals against and has an 880 save percentage all situations. That's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah, that's one way to put it. He has been absolutely abysmal this year. Um, so, and, but yeah, that it blew my mind when I heard he's the one who should go get. I was like, I don't think so. No, absolutely um, not. I guess let's talk about Minnesota then because they have had just a horrid start to the season. And I think we were higher on this team than a lot of people were. I think it was fair to be high-ish on them. Like, we, yeah. when we say high-ish... We were like 8th place Yeah, 7th, 8th. If things go well. They started 1-6, uh, and six, and that one win was against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, they, <laughs> since then, they are up to 3-7, and seven, which isn't great, <laughs> but I think they're like 2-1 and one in their last two games, so... Um, Worse than the Blackhawks is yeah, not what I, I saw coming. They are, right now... Tied for last in their division, and they are, I believe, second, third last in the league, maybe? Ottawa has one less point than them, and then the Devils and the Red Wings both have six as well. That's tough. Yeah. So, um, and the Red Wings have been on an absolute slide. They've lost six in a row. I think that is kind of noticed. We can get to them in a second, too. But The tank's rolling in Detroit. For, for Minnesota, you can tell that things are just not going well. I think it was Jason Zucker called out uh, his team and then accidentally added Bruce Boudreaux's name into that. And I think it was. there's been a lot to talk about this. I think it was a pretty honest thing. You know, he was just kind of saying we all need to be better. You know, from top to bottom, Bruce needs to be better too. And then I guess that night before anything had even got out, he went right to Boudreaux and said, no, 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 this isn't what I mean. I apologize. I shouldn't have thrown your name out there. But I think that's, like, fair. Like, I, I don't think people are... I think people are trying to make more out of that than they should have been. Well, people are just, like, really ready to defend Boudreaux. Yeah, but I so think the weirdest part was it was like, it wasn't like the advanced stats people who were, like, it was the people you would assume wouldn't want to defend Boudreaux because, you know, he's labeled as a playoff joker and this and that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, it was, like, more people, like, I had heard on the radio a couple times, like, what are you doing? You're throwing your coach under the bus. It's like, yes, kind of, but at the same time, it clearly, he didn't mean to say, yo, this guy sucks. And you're bound to slip up sometimes yeah. if you're talking to the media every day. That being, yeah. and that, not that big of a deal. No, but that being said, there was also the other side who was pissed that this was even a remotely a story, and 
I'm going to go against that too. If a, even if a player accidentally says it, of course people are going to talk about it. Oh yeah, it's just well, like if, if who the, the hell calls the coach? If, I've never heard like if in the NFL, you know, Jalen Ramsey was like our coach needs to get it together. <laughs> that's going to be a story. I'm sure it would happen more in other sports than this one, but yeah, like if Dubis, like if. Dubas came out in a presser and was like, yeah, Babcock's been struggling. Yeah, like, that would be a big story. <laughs> yeah, it would be a huge story for uh, sure. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, emotions are clearly running high. And Boudreaux had a quote, I think it was after the Toronto game. He's like, well, I wish I could just make these guys faster, but I can. And that was a direct shot at Paul Fenton, who built this team. Yeah. Now, one way to make them faster would be consider not scratching Kevin Fiala. And also playing a guy like Nino Niederreiter more so you didn't have to trade him for uh, Victor Rask. Yeah, so it's not like he's completely blameless in this scenario either. No, there's but. a lot wrong about this team, but this is just like... But even an elite coach can only get so much out of this team. And they've been worse than good. I expected. Like, they have been just generally bad to watch. Yeah, even their, like, Corsi and stuff is really, really bad. Yeah, they have been a, an, a just an abysmal team from top to bottom, and it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back a little bit. But. Yeah, usually they're always an XG team, but with the whole data tracking issue, they're still under fifty percent. But I don't know how meaningful that is. Well, they got it fixed. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, but did they fix the old games? I'm not sure. So that would be why yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Because the new games are coming out fine, so you yeah. can look as of I think it's October sixteenth. But uh, full season data will still have the messed up games then, I believe. They're like sixth lot, or sorry, that's Corsi. They're like they're fifteenth in Corsi right now at five v five, and they score are... adjusted. It's because they've been losing that they look so oh, good. Yeah, I don't even I can't even see their name. Oh, twelfth in score adjusted expected goals, or non score adjusted. Sorry, it's gonna score adjusted. Yeah, because if they've been losing the whole time, that would be yeah pretty large discrepancy there. Yeah, they've made their way up to 22nd in Corsi 4, but, you know, uh, that'd be the two wins that they actually had. But uh, regardless, this team, uh, I mean, with a start like this, and I want to get into the other teams that are banking points, that means it. But when you're losing points this early in November, yes, or October, yes, it's October, but they've already played an eighth of their season. Uh, yeah, that's the like, thing. When you're like, say the Tampa Bay Lightning had six points right now, you could maybe be like, it doesn't mean anything. But when you're a team that's upside was already like sixth in the conference or sixth in yeah, sixth in the conference to begin with, then all of a sudden being four points, five points, six points out of a playoff spot this early becomes really, really meaningful. Yeah. Well and if you say, I don't know what, like ninety six points I think made the West playoffs last year. Something uh, like that. Let me check. Uh, but if you say Mike has the cutoffs projected at ninety three ish. <laughs> In okay, that, that's a li- that's a little better at least. Hold on, I'll just take a look from last year. Nineteen NHL standings. Um, but my point here is for a team like Minnesota, where you knew they were going to have to play on a pretty good pace to try and make it, regardless. Anyway, last year, uh, the Abs made it with ninety points last year. Jeez. Oh my God, I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, that is bad. Okay, well, let's say ninety-three, and then the because in the East, the Canadians missed with ninety-six. Oh, I forgot about that. That's pathetic. That is brutal. The Canadians missed with 96, and there was a team with 90 points making it in the West. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's say 93 points even. So the issue is, as you said with Tampa, yes, they would have to... So Tampa would have to play at, you know, say, whatever point pace. But the thing with Tampa is they can do that because they they did it all last year. So if you go 93, right now that would have to put them on to get 93 points. So they've got six right now. 
72 games to go. 72 games, so you need... What, 87? 87 in uh, 72 games. So that would be about a 99-point pace. Which, like, isn't that out there when you think about it, but for this team, it kind of is. Yeah, for a team, like I said, that's upside was like sixth in the conference or something like that to begin with, then it starts to look pretty sketchy pretty fast. Because... Um, even, you know, last year to give you like, to see what this team was, their point pace for last year, they had 83 points last year. So that means for the rest of the season this year, they're going to play, you know, 16 points above what they were last year just to, you know, give themselves a shot. And that's, that's if it's only 93 points where, you know, if the West has improved a little more, maybe not. um, Yeah, that's a tough one to forecast. But if it has, you know, 93 points may not even do it. Um, you know, so... It's a 99-point pace is what the Jets and Blues played on last year. Like They both finished with 99 points. Okay. Um, so one of those teams was really, really bad and then was really, 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 really good for the rest of the year. And one did the opposite. And the other one was not great all year but had high-end talent to carry them all the way through. And Minnesota is neither of those. They don't have the high-end talent. No. And so they really need to be really, really good and get some bounces to go their way. Um, so, yeah, I would be pretty worried. Oh, for sure. If I was a Minnesota fan who wanted to make the playoffs this year. But, I mean, maybe for their long-term outlook, you... Again, the problem is, every time we talk about this, I maybe try and trade someone. Who do you trade on this team? I don't know, but they're so going to fire Boudreaux if it doesn't work out, aren't they? Probably. But, I mean, if you just tank for the next three years, is that the worst thing? No, but then they're screwed because Parise and Suter are still on the books by the time the first overall pick you get ELC is up. I guess, but then I think by that time you're just kind of hoping that the other bad deals you have are off the are almost off the books. Yeah, this is one of the least enviable jobs in the league. This might be the least enviable job now. Yeah, it's definitely got to be up there. L.A. maybe like if you're including owners, Ottawa's still always going to be up there. But at least Ottawa's like long term outlook doesn't look that bad. It suddenly looks doable. The best way to put it is in 2017 you had all the. A bunch of casual fans absolutely praising Dorian for getting Melnick to uh, spend money when he got him to sign Nate Thompson and Alex Burrows for, you know, two years or whatever. Yeah, um, the bar the bar's pretty low there. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it would be... That, that would be definitely one of the better ones. And, you know, for Minnesota, there's just so little you can do. Yeah. Where it's like, going You're... forward, like, how do you help yourself out of that situation? Speaking of helping yourself out of a situation, we have live, we have breaking news. What's that? The first time ever. They dumped Gabranson. Who? Pittsburgh. Oh my, to who? The Anaheim Ducks. Oh my gosh. So, so the Ducks just put Manson, or Manson got hurt. Yeah, I saw talking about how they might be looking for defensive help. And no way they actually traded for Eric Gabranson. That is insane. Well, it's good to know we have that. God, that's funny. Oh my word! Like okay, so I guess let's break that down then. That's nice. Get some news to help us out yeah. on a rather slow day. Um, so this is bad from Anaheim's perspective. Yep. Did the Pens have to eat any cap? Doesn't look like it. Oh my gosh! I mean, that's good for Rutherford. I mean, he should have signed that deal in the first place, or uh, made that deal in the first place, but... It'd be the best to, like, get praised for cleaning up your own mess. Yeah. Was it Good Branson <laughs> that went, or Jack Johnson? Erica Branson. Okay. So that one's a little more understandable, I guess. He's a NHL player, I would say, where I don't know if... But he's still overpaid. 
Yeah, it's not understandable at all, but relative to Jack Johnson. It's more understandable how they moved him, I think. Yeah, but. he's also sh- two years shorter. Yeah, he he's only on the books for this year and next year, so a team like Anaheim that has cap space... I mean, can it's not going to affect them, but it's still just not a good use of your resources. They even got a seventh-round pick back. <laughs> Kyle Dubas would be so proud. Jeez. Um, okay, that's incredibly interesting. Uh, one of the things I did kind of want to mention sometime is, you know, for years Anaheim was this place where their defense was one of the best in the league, and I don't, that's really not the case anymore. Uh, you no. know, Lindholm is still great, awesome, but... Uh, even still, like, he hasn't been popping off the page like he used to fowler is fine fowler's one of those weird guys who like i've seen no evidence that he's actually good and then every year andrew berkshire does his rankings with microstats and fowler always comes out as like a top 20 defenseman and it confuses the hell out of me manson is all right as well but he just went down hurt so now you have uh good branson replacing him i guess give me top pair eric branson uh, I don't. I don't even know who Jacob Larson is. He's on his ELC. Is he any good? He's a former first round pick. He used to get pretty good in gel. I don't know if he's actually good. Brandon but. Gooley, uh, Corbinian Holzer, and Michael Delzato rounded out. Like it's not. It's fine. I, I wouldn't say it's bad, but it's just not like it's not elite like we used to think it was, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, they we, were like a defenseman factory well, we, after, after a while. They were what we now consider Nashville. I, I would say. Yeah. Like, just a thing, a team that was just overflowing with amazing potential defensemen and stuff like that. And it's not like they were high picks or anything. No. They just cranked them out. Yeah, and they just move, and then they'd move some of the guys. But, you know, uh, this team is... John Gibson is doing John Gibson stuff. Poor John Gibson. Um, he's dragged them into a playoff spot, I believe, currently. I think, let me check. They are, well... They're hovering. They're around fifth in their there. division at twelve, tied with the Canucks with twelve points. But they have way more games played. Uh, yeah, they're technically in the second wild card spot because the Jets are fourth in their division with ten points. So okay. they're technically tied for the first slash second wild card spot. Um, a lot of that has to be to goaltending. I don't think they're they've lost three in a row. Unfortunately, um, I don't know. I see this team regressing before getting better. Oh God, yeah. Gibson's rocking a nine twenty seven. I can't imagine even though he's john gibson he sustains that judging by how bad this team has been historically at controlling shot quality against yeah and it's not like erica branson's gonna help that no not at all uh if anything he's like helping them test the hypothesis how far can john gibson take this team (laughs) on his own um yeah i What an odd move. This is definitely... I I feel like we didn't need to say that this is a bad move, but it's a bad move. That's funny. You knew someone was going to help them out of it, too. Oh, yeah. Um, Now it'll be interesting to see you move Jack Johnson as well. That'll be hard. More difficult, I would think. Or what they even do with the cap space, uh, which would also be interesting. I mean, this year... So, so far this year, Anaheim is 17th in Corsi 4 through 11 games. That's not Uh, too bad. No, I mean, I think the Randy Carlisle effect was real, and, you know, not having him helps, but... Uh, it'll be interesting to see, and that score adjusted, but it'll be interesting to see if they can continue that. Um, for expected goals, they're at 55%, which is ranked some 10th, but again, that might also be because of the wonky games. I'm not sure. They're at, wow, good for them. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if the, if the, oh wait, no, that's goal four percentage. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Expected goals. Where are they here? And suddenly they sink way down. 
they're 22nd. So okay. they're still closer to average than what they have been in years past. But, um, yeah, this team really needs their rookies to step up and John Gibson to keep posting a 925 or so to have a hope at the playoffs, I think. Yeah, 100%. Theoretically, anyways. Um, that being said, the teams that are ahead of them right now um, are also some teams that you might not expect there. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers are currently leading the Pacific Division with 17 points on 11 games. As we all expected. <laughs> and the Canucks have uh, 12 points in 9 games. So the thing with the Oilers, it's the Sabres and the Oilers I wanted to talk about. Because the Sabres are in the same thing. They're, ahead of, they're top of the Atlantic Division, 17 points in 11 games. Some of this is they just played 11 games, which is more than most people in the league have. Yeah. But the other point is, um, this is important because they're banking points. It's the opposite of what Minnesota... We talked about with Minnesota, where it's like Minnesota now has to play at a 99-point pace. These guys probably have to play at, you know, an 82, 83-point pace to get in on whatever the cutoff is. So, again, yeah. for, I don't know, for, and for Edmonton, it's even easier than Buffalo. Almost for, certainly, for, yeah. for Buffalo, it's going to be hard because if the, the point cutoff is, say, 97 points, um, 17 points in 11 games, so you need 80 points in your last 71 games. Yeah. Right? So that would be, I don't know, roughly a 92-point pace is what they have to play on now, which is, like, still an- enough. But It's still it's... probably higher than Buffalo's true talent, but it gets them a lot closer to the picture than they were. Yes, and if they can, you know, keep playing like they are for another couple games, you know, it suddenly looks a lot easier to do, right? Yeah, it gets it got brought up a fair amount, but, like, it's so miraculous that the Sabres missed the playoffs despite winning 10 games in a row last year. And not even just missed the playoffs, missed the playoffs by 21 points. Yeah, weren't they like third they, last in the league? In the division. They had 76 points, oh. which would put them fourth last in the East and fifth last in the fifth league. Fifth last in the league? Yeah. Yeah, like that was a spectacularly bad run after they did that. Yeah, uh, like incredibly bad run. Yeah. Um. So, like... Geez, it's mind-blowing almost. But my point is more, you know, especially my, more on Edmonton. Buffalo is just, they're really in tough because of the division. There is, if Buffalo is even, like, averagely good this year, there are six good teams in that division, three of them being, like, elite and two of them being very solid on, like, a tier below, in my opinion. And then Buffalo. Yeah. Like, I think we went over that. You know, Boston, Tampa, and Toronto, in theory, are all elite-level teams that, you know you need to be terrified of and then florida and the the canadians are both also very solid teams so buffalo has a very very hard road ahead of them um but on the other side we have the the oilers and i haven't gone through everyone who's like i know they beat the capitals last night which was big but uh, some of their first games were i think like all seven of their first games were against teams i wouldn't have in the playoffs but yeah credit to them for getting the 13 points or whatever it was. That's the thing. Everybody cites records a lot at this time of the year, but, like, hockey's a noisy enough sport. It's not like just because you're playing seven non-playoff teams, you're guaranteed anything close to seven wins. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see, like, Ottawa beat Tampa. Ottawa's only win for most of the year was against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, that should never happen, but it does because it's hockey. Hockey's a weird sport. Probably, like, 30% 30% of the time or something ridiculous like that. All right, so just because I've been in the is, mood but... for calculating this, what do you think, to hit 93 points, what point pace do you think the Edmonton Oilers have to play on? 93 points? Yeah. What do they have to play on? Yeah, they're at 17 points in 11 games right now. 80. 
85. 88.7 is their point pace that they would have to play on, which is still above last year's. But again, like that's why banking these points early matters because if you play a little bit over 500 hockey, this team should theoretically be in the playoffs. Yeah, there gets to a point where you can bank enough points that you can basically sail playing 500. I do think there's going to be, because the Sabres blew up so hilariously last year, I think there's going to be a little too much pushback this year to people being like, well, look at what the Sabres did last year. And the opposite way around with St. Louis. Yeah. You never know. Like, oh, look at St. Louis last year. You know, and you've already heard it a couple times, you know. There's been some people who's like, oh, yeah, tough start, but look at what St. Louis is doing. It's like, okay, no. St. Louis fired their coach. St. Louis finally had all the talent that they had on the roster originally come together with the new coach, and that was after a month of their new coach being garbage with them, too. And then they found a new goaltender who was like a 925 out of nowhere. So, I mean, sure, look at what St. Louis did, but it's probably not going to happen again. Yeah, coming off a year with two, like, ridiculous extremes, I'm sure there's going to be some pushback on it, even though, yeah, it's still good. Bank them while you can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all credit to the Oilers. They've made their journey a lot easier than I thought it was going to be even three weeks ago. You know, like, this team I thought was going to have to scratch, and they still are going to have to scratch and claw for every win. They're still not a good team. McDavid and Dreisaitl have done a lot of the load carrying here. Yeah, that's the other thing. McDavid and Dreisaitl playing, like, 25-plus minutes multiple games, you're probably not going to sustain that. No, not at all. But, I mean, again, that's kind of, you know, maybe you treat those games on the second half of back-to-back, you're just going to chalk that up as a loss and hope you win the first half, right? Yeah. And that's where the 500 comes in. Well, depends if your backup goalie's in net or not, because I was told teams only lose back-to-backs because their backup goalie's in net. Okay, but to be fair to the Oilers, they have two backup goalies in Mike Smith. And... <laughs> True. Okay, do we want to get to the Leafs just yet? I was waiting because there was a couple things, but we can do it now if you want. I wanted to find something real quick on Edmonton, though. Let's do it. Let's um, do Edmonton quick. Uh, what, what you were thinking. Ethan Bear has come up, and I just want to see what his numbers were looking like. Vinny likes him. Yeah. <laughs> his he ranks fourth right now in Corsi 4 percentage for all Edmonton defenders, and the two that are first and second have only played five games so far this year. So you got small samples. So there. for the two, four, five defensemen who have played 11 games, he ranks second, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, that's solid. I don't really... His expected goals percentage, again, we can't really use this, but... It's, he's fourth in that as well. And again, the two guys who have played five games are top two. So, yeah, um, yeah I just want to note that, you know, that is the kind of thing that they really need to have happen to them, where it's like guys like that need to come up and produce, uh, you know, almost like a Jesse Pugliarvi type. But uh, that if they want to keep playing well, their young guys are going to have to take another step forward on top of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah, and there's some fear that they're going to send him down when Larson comes back, which would be hilarious. It would also be the most Edmonton thing I've ever heard. Yeah, if they finally got some depth and they just send him down after playing well. Um, Okay, the Toronto Maple Leafs. (laughs) So, we have the Mike Babcock thing. Um, I guess we will... Yeah, let's do the Mike Babcock thing first. So, we are usually Babcock defenders on this podcast. And I would say we better be way more so than usual this season. Yeah. At least I have been. I completely agree. Um, so the original thing was... Okay, so here's my... We'll get to the backup thing in a second, what we think. Here's my biggest thing with Leaf fans right now on Leafs Twitter. Is they have moaned and whined... Bitched, moaned and whined for 
since he's been here pretty much you know since the honeymoon phase was over after the first season yes, he was uh, clearly yeah maybe even the second season because you know like once the there were some expectations people have done nothing but wine and wine and wine and some of that has been justified you know, oh, play, there's definitely justifiable playing, things to playing guys like Cody CC in the top four, not Cody CC per se, but Nikita Zaitsev last year over like Travis Dermott. Yes, that is justifiable. This year, however, he has done everything that people would want in terms of changing lines, playing people who they wanted together, and they have still complained. He scratched Jason Spezza because he thought Nick Shore was better, and Ty doesn't go to the veteran anymore, and everyone cried and whined for so long about how he didn't have the respect to play Jason Spezza on the opening night lineup. He then played Nylander and Matthews together. I don't think they've been broken up until Tavares went down, and then people were bitching that Marner wasn't on Matthews' line. It's like, what do you want from this guy? So now, his his motto has always been, bank the points when you can. Get the two points out of your starting goaltender and let your backup play second. And now people have complained about that because... They want Freddie Anderson to be playing the second half of a back-to-back when the team is absolutely exhausted and the other team is rested and your chance of winning absolutely decreases no matter what. Come on! Yeah, see, here's the thing. So, a lot of people, for some reason, have really, really passionate opinions about where to play a goalie on the second half of back-to-back. I have not seen evidence either way, so this is one of the times where I'll actually just defer to the common wisdom of playing him on the first half. But if for the people who feel passionately, if you if someone was truly able to predict single game goaltending performances, they wouldn't waste their time telling you about it on Twitter. They would either be an NHL coach making millions of dollars or beating the Vegas lines for absurd amounts of money. Yes, and like, you know, like okay, here's the thing. And yes, there is no evidence, and maybe playing it. Uh, I'll go back and forth here a little bit. The the biggest thing is just using common sense. We know that when a team is on the second half of a back-to-back, they have to travel, and the other team is sitting there waiting rested for them, your percentage chance of winning is very, very, very low. Like, I don't know how many times you win that game, but even Dom's model, who I don't know if it takes quite that into account, it takes travel yep. and everything, yeah. but like not even like, you know, if you look through history and see the percentage of times that's happened, you know, how many times you win, I'm assuming it'd be lower than the 35% that Toronto had going into that night against Boston. So here's the thing. A goal. So if you have, say, historically, when it's like a team waiting for you and you're on second or back-to-back traveling, let's say historically you win 20% of the time. It'll probably be higher than that. But yeah, I don't just, even know if it would. 25, maybe? I don't know what it would be. To be I don't think it would honest. be that, especially that situation. Maybe if both teams were traveling or it was a back-to-back where you're sitting at home, it would be a little different. Being at home would be... But when you have all the factors pushed against you, like I believe it has been twice now against Toronto... Like, let's say, so my point is pretty much that your chance of winning that game is going to be so low that the, what, 5%, even, maybe not even that, that adding Frederick Anderson over Michael Hutchinson into the game, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. It's not going to do anything in the long term. It doesn't make any sense. The only scenario that I could say where I try to understand, you know, banking the points, or not banking the points, is if you're Toronto and last year, when you are in the middle of the year and it was quite clear where you were playing and you wanted to try and gain some confidence in your backup, and you played, say, the Minnesota Wild, like I believe they had earlier this year, Minnesota Wild on night one, and then it was Boston or Montreal or Washington or whoever on night two. That is the only time I can see justifying playing your backup, and it's not for, for, it's not for the points. It's so that you can play your backup and gain him some confidence. 
Maybe you get your back your backup his first win, and you go, okay, now we don't need to play Frederick Anderson twice in four days. Now our backup can play one and three instead, so you rest Frederick Anderson a little more. And you know, and then you say, okay, maybe Anderson's in against Boston trying to get those points. That's the only situation I could see, and that shouldn't be happening more than two times a year, three times a year, so you can use your backup a little more later. Like, I don't, I just, I don't understand. I don't get it. It's... Yeah, I don't know. It's hilarious to watch people freaking out. The only justification I can get is, like, you know, if it's a team in the other conference that absolutely means nothing, or just, like, say the New Jersey Devils are on a 70-point pace and you want to play Hutchinson against him. Yeah, that would be fair. But, like, even then, it's still just not going to help you that much. But that's a thing. So, like, even if the New Jersey, like, sure... I would accept arguments either way because you can make an intuitive argument on either side of this fence. But, like, it's a pretty sophisticated expected value problem to solve that I have not seen anyone go through the trouble of trying to break down on Twitter. It's literally just like, I want him to play this guy here. Yeah, and... Because I feel that way. And, like, maybe this is just Mike Babcock and all this, like, maybe Toronto's statistical department says, no, don't do this, don't do this, play Hutchinson game one, and Babcock's stubborn. But I also have a hard time believing that. Like, I feel like the data would point to just banking the points in a long term. If you're not thinking about anything else, you're just thinking about where you're finishing in the standings, banking the points by doing this would be smarter. Because let's say, so Columbus, for example, Toronto loses in a shootout. Uh, in game one against Columbus, and then loses in game two against Boston yeah. um, on the back-to-back. And I watched some of the Columbus game, and Frederick Anderson made some really big saves to keep them in that game. As so, he always has to. So let's say that uh, Hutchinson's in, and it doesn't make some of those games, and they don't even get one point out of that game. You're now going into Boston, where I'm pretty sure they got pretty outplayed. I didn't watch that game, but from what I could tell, that they were pretty outplayed, and Hutchinson didn't play great. The Bergeron line had a night. But... Let's say that, you know, you lose 3-2 instead of 4-2, or you get an overtime point against Boston instead. Does that matter? Like, like I feel like your risk of, you know, if you lose that game in Columbus and regulation, now you're staring at you need to get at least one, probably two points in Boston to make this feel worth it, instead of saying, okay, we got one or two points against the first one, now the pressure's off a bit more. Right? Yeah. I like... And, like, I guess that goes the other way, too, but it's just this whole thing from Leafs Twitter that it's just uh, a known fact that Toronto's going to win game one of a back-to-back. It, it blows my mind. And they're going to lose because Hutchison's in that. Like, yeah. I would... I don't know this, but my sort of prior, without seeing any research, is it would point to more or less that the value a goalie gives you is just a function of how much you start him rather than when you start him. I can't imagine there's this massive edge to be gained <clears throat> controlling your starter playing on the first half or second half of a back-to-back. Like, I would think Frederick Anderson's war that he gives you or whatever is just more of a function of shots faced and games played. Then yeah. I, I would be really surprised if it actually makes much of a difference either way. It's one of those things where it's like, I just can't believe that there's been this much whining about such a simple topic. It's pretty funny, though. Yeah. So, like, this is hard to do, like, looking backwards or whatever, but if I told you before the season that Freddie Anderson was going to start with a 900 save percentage, would you be happy with... Well, you're not a Leafs fan, so you probably don't care. But if you were... I would say that's a problem. But, okay, yes, that is a problem. But would you be comfortable with the Leafs playing at an 89-point pace with their starting goalie at a 901 save percentage? Like, you mean comfortable going forward? Or just... 
you know, like that's what has happened. Yeah, like Freddie Anderson comes out. Like he's going to bounce back, is, right? Like that's yeah. your point. But like you yeah. can't control that he was bad in no, the first no, 11 no. games. Of course not. So given that, you're playing at an 89-point pace. Yeah. So it's like, that's, okay, that's not ideal, but... I don't think that's... But like a you problem like but no it's not, it's, not, it's thing, not ideal but, but it's like you know that it's it's not something that it's like oh my gosh we have to go and fix something because odds are Frederick Anderson is just gonna get better yeah exactly like yeah so that's not he's now like three for four in a Leafs uniform of sucking in October and he's gotten better every time and when he gets better this time guess what's gonna happen to the Leafs record they would they're gonna assumingly go get better yeah it's I. I don't know. It's been tiring just watching Leafs fans complain about it's been every little thing this a year. A shit show this year. It has been crazy. Um and it's only going to get worse because this is what I want to bring up next. All right. So, it's not going to happen just yet, but in a couple weeks when Zach Hyman and <laughs> Travis Dermott are back, the Leafs are going to have to waive all three of their scratches because they won't have the cap space to keep them. Yeah, that's going to happen soon. Too. So Dermot is, uh, LeBron was on TSN radio and he said Dermot could come back this weekend if he's ready. Now, he might not get cleared, but that's the timetable where he could. So it'll be probably within the next week or so. Before the season, I don't know where he got this number from, but Pabcock was oddly specific saying 14 games for Dermot <laughs> and they're 11 in right now. So. so within the next week or so, he should be back. Maybe even two weeks, we'll give him. And then... Hyman should be back somewhere soon enough, too. You know, he was supposed to miss a little more time, but it already sounds like he's on the track to getting better. So in two or three weeks, say that happens, and then you also have John Tavares coming back sometime within, you know, a month or so, maybe. Yeah, you'd think soon Um So they are going to, it's just, this is a fact. They are going to need to waive pretty much every healthy scratch they have so far. So they're going to have to make a choice between Spezza, Timoshov, the GOAT, the GOAT, um, gravel on the back end. That's probably the guy they're going to wave on the back end. Maybe Marenson, but probably gravel. Um, let me go look through the other guys. Um, Patan, Shore, and so Patan, Shore, Spezza, Timoshov, the Goat, uh, Gravel, Hall, and Marenson. So there's eight guys, and I believe. Patan is so going to be gone. I believe Gravel is going to have to be sent down when Dermot comes off the IR anyways. So that's not... like So Gravel will be gone, so now you have seven guys to choose from, or six guys to choose from. And then when uh, Tavares or Hyman come out, whoever the first one of those two are, that's when you're going to have to make a choice up front. So yeah, it's Patan, Shore, Spezza, Timoshov, Gauthier. Um, so when you have a healthy lineup with Tavares and Hyman and everyone in it, it'll be... Nine, and then those two. So you'll have to choose probably one of those five guys I just list, listed. Timoshov, uh, does he need waivers? I don't think he does. I don't think he does. So I would assume he will be going down just for the fact that he doesn't need waivers. Yeah, I don't think he does, and I'm unreasonably confident that the GOAT is not going down. No, I don't think he will be. And honestly, like he's played fine this year. But Yeah, he's been good enough. I don't think it's crazy to keep him as a... But so this is the thing. So they are going to have to play with zero scratches. So that means they can't rotate people in and out on back-to-backs. And if someone gets hurt, you have to play one game before you call someone up. And then you can use uh, someone who is 800k or less uh, to call someone up, pretty much, is what it was explained to me. So that's why they signed so many guys with 700k. But my thing is, on these back-to-backs, it's only going to get worse the more people freak out about them because they're not going to have the cap space to do anything unless they move, say, Cody Cece. Which I, I haven't heard any rumors of them doing so far. 
God, it would be nice, but um, no, I can't imagine there's a seat. Well, I don't know. I guess I don't know anything about what's going on <laughs> on the inside, but I doubt Cody Cece's getting moved Unless or anything some like team like Anaheim just did with uh, Good Branson's, like, hey, we will give you a sixth-round pick, or even maybe for Cece it needs to be more for the Leafs. I don't know. If there's some teams like fourth-round pick for Cece, maybe Dubas says yes, please. But I would be surprised if they aren't taking that at this point. I yeah maybe unless they think there's more out there for him but I, I can't don't think... I th- I feel like their thing at the beginning of the year is they signed him assuming maybe he had more to give in Ottawa and that Ottawa was the factor that he was bad and not him being bad and now you know he's eleven games in and I haven't heard a regular season game I haven't heard any Leaf fans say that was a really good game by CC no and his priors were so bad that we'd need such like overwhelmingly positive evidence to be like maybe this dude's good and. He's obviously not provided any of that. So. No, um, not at all. Uh, so, yeah, I. it'll be interesting. I just want to point that out that, you know, it's going to be interesting going forward. It's not going to get better if you don't like the complaining on Lee's Twitter because I think it's going to get more and more uh, aggressive with uh, them going to, like, just going to have to scratch be, or send down people and not have anyone to be a healthy scratch. That's going to be an issue. Yeah, that'll be... I'm excited. You know we're getting right-winger Justin Hall at some point <laughs> this year, and I'm excited for it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm... Like, I, it is what it is. Uh, what are you going to say? Well, like, so Freddie's save percentage, I don't think it's crazy to think that it's probably going to go up sooner rather than later. The injuries are going to come back. Like, the guys who are hurt are going to come back sooner rather than later. So, like, I don't know. It might get better pretty quickly. Yeah, like, I mean, the overall outlook of the season will get better. I'm just saying, like, the way this team is positioned right now for just the day-to-day basis of stuff is very, very intriguing. We haven't seen this in a while since... The Blackhawks used to have to, like, send a dude down and, call like, paper him down and then call him up at the end of the day to save, like, 50K. That's, like, the last time I can think of. Calgary Flames, the reason the rule that Toronto, if they miss a guy and they play 19 skaters for one, the reason that was in is because, I don't remember what year it was, but Calgary was right up against the cap, and they ran in some injury trouble, but none for IR. So they played, like, six games where it was, like, they were skating with 16 guys. Like they're missing like two fours in the defenseman or something, and the players' association came in and said, "No, no, 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 no! This is way too dangerous for the people who are playing now." Yeah, that's fair. Which is very fair. So that's why this rule is in. But we haven't seen anything like this in a long time. I find it very intriguing. Yeah, they'll be. They should be like one of the most interesting teams to watch this year. I would assume so. Yes. Um, and then uh, I guess my only other thing that I was going to comment on this year is for some reason I woke up today to Sens Twitter talking about the potential of acquiring Jason Spezza. <laughs> And I don't know why on earth we are doing that, but uh, it was reported in 31 Thoughts and quite other a bunch of other places is because Artem Anisimov and Colin White are out for two to three weeks. Ottawa now wants to go acquire another forward, which is just insane. I cannot express. I don't... Okay. So they have barely played any of the rookies. And I don't care if you want to say Belleville is better for the rookies. Whatever. I don't agree with that for everyone. But at least it's whatever that you can get to Belleville. The problem I had earlier is that there's already such a logjam in Belleville. All getting another forward is going to do is make more of a logjam when your two forwards who you're trying to replace are back. Because they've called up Logan Brown and he looked fine the other night. And even if he doesn't, let him play for... 12 games or whatever it's going to be, or send him down and call Batherson back up for 12 games, and then send, or Chlapik back up, and then send the guy down when Colin White or Temenisimov are back off the IR. Like, 
Yeah, like at some point you have to let them fail. Yeah, like this that's the thing I've been trying to I don't understand is that one of these points the players are just going to have to fail. And with someone like say Brand who Brandstrom, I he had a rough game a couple nights ago, but I think overall he's been okay this year. He's been, you know, roughly second or third in most defenders defenders for Ottawa unexpected goals and Corsi. Um, but if, you know, he's at least 19 where it's like, okay, maybe you could get another year of development. I saw someone legitimately try and say that Colin White should be back in the AHL this year. After playing as like a first line center. Yeah. I was like, what do you expect that would do for him? The, maybe the reason that he isn't playing well is because he has no one on his team and he's playing way too high up in the lineup for where he should be. I was like, also, the guy's 22 years old. What do you think is going to come of him if he comes in the... Like, if he doesn't learn to fail in the NHL now, when's he going to learn to fail in the NHL? I, it is just so warped of people's expectations. Now, I will say, if they could find another player of Nemestikov's quality, Maybe. that would be all right. Because he's actually You have to move someone else player. there. You have to move Scott Sabrin somewhere. Or, yes. Because you, the problem is... Like, the Nemestikov deal, I didn't... I thought the deal was fine from an on-ice perspective. I liked it from an on-ice perspective. Yeah. They clearly won. I mean, Nemestikov is... He's already improved his trade value. I bet you you could, you know, if the deadline... If he plays like this to the deadline, he'll get a second-round pick, I bet. Like, he's played very, very well for the Ottawa Senators. Nice. The issue was, it creates a logjam in Belleville. They've had Max Verano, not, like, top-tier prospects, but they have guys who should be developing in Belleville, scratched. Healthy scratch or in the bottom line because they just don't have places to put these guys. So, you like, that is my issue, and that's why... This whole, like, especially Jason Spezza. Jason Spezza, out of all, I love the guy as a senator. He should not be coming back to Ottawa. No, now it's not the time. Like, it would be a total PR move to bring him back. Yes, and so and their biggest thing was, oh, well, they can't do anything right now because they're at 49 out of 50 contracts and they don't want to get to 50 to 50. It's like, oh, it's almost as if signing someone like Scott Sabrin to an NHL-level deal was not a good idea. Yeah, it makes the Sabrin contract look nuts. Like, I just, I'm so done with this team. The on-ice product is, it hasn't been good, but it's been entertaining for how bad I want them to be this year, which is fine. Like, I haven't, in terms of just day-to-day, like, not thinking about who's up in the NHL, I have been quite okay with the NHL product. There's been, there's been a few really bad games, but there's also been a couple where it's like, okay, like, I don't mind watching this. And then, but just the way they've handled the on-ice stuff has just been horrendous. Or off-ice stuff, sorry. Like, their roster management and their lineup management and stuff like that has just been like, I don't have any faith in this team going forward. No, as you should not. Like, and I guess, like, so I, I sent you a tweet last night, and I think it, it was saying, uh, what would it say? I said, the Vlad, the Vlaslav Nemestikov deal is one of the better ones of Dorian's tenure here. And <laughs> yeah. it had, like, 15 likes on it, and I'm not even going to say you tweeted it because it doesn't matter because I think a lot of people probably agree with it because I don't think it's that outrageous of a take. But my thing was, is people are looking at this as if, as if it was a good thing. It's not a good thing. That says more, way more about his tenure here than it does about the deal itself. Yeah, it's one of those, like, it sounds like you're complimenting him because you're calling it a good trade, but it's such a backhanded compliment yeah. because if that's the best thing you've done in, like, what has it been, three or four years? Yeah, I think something like that. Four four years, I think. This, I think this is the fourth season. Four or five. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, what year did the FNAF trade happen? 15-16. So. so it's the year after that. He, okay. didn't, he didn't make that deal. So he's had three years. Yeah. What and a good parting gift. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was the assistant GM, so I'm sure he probably had some input on that. But uh, he uh, technically wasn't his deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just that... This team just frustrates me from an off-ice perspective where it's like... And it's just like... 
I don't know, for fans that were all hyped about all these prospects at the beginning of the year, just suddenly doing a 180 and still defending management, saying, no, 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 it's fine. Like, these guys can be in the AHL. You know, nothing is, we want the high pick. It's like, yes, I want the high pick, but I also want to have confidence that the high pick is going to be able to come into a situation where it helps them. Yeah, 100%. Just putting Lafreniere or, you know, whoever, Quinton Byfield or whoever the second pick is, Putting him into this situation where he's in the Colin White position, where he has no one to play with and he's way over his head, that's not going to help anything either. No. <laughs> like, you need talent to surround them. And if everyone is just trying... Like, one of the more underrated things I thought about the Leafs in the year that they made the playoffs for the first time was they had some guys they brought up the year before to help them. William Nylander, I think, was was Kapanen there that year? Yeah, Kapanen played. Kapanen Hyman played at the played. end. Hyman played at the end. Maybe not Janssen. Maybe he was the no, Janssen didn't. But like those, that kind of guys played so that when Matthews and Marners came in and made, Marner made their debut, you also had some rookies with them, but they had also already had a cup of tea at the end of the NHL. And Ottawa is not at the point yet because they came up post-deadline, which I'm hoping that Ottawa does too. But people would be quite okay if Ottawa just, everyone stayed in Belleville all year and then was like, oh, well, we'll get him next year. But we're just going to keep delaying that if that's the case, right? Like, yeah. if your th- argument is, oh, they're not ready for the NHL yet, let them play 20 more AHL games and then come to the NHL, what are they going to be ready for then? Yeah, and, like, their their prospects aren't that young. No. they Like, this team is, you know, everyone boasts about how young they are, but it's not like they have 18 and 19-year-olds that are the blue-chip prospects of this team. Their top two prospects are Branchton, who I believe is 19, turning 20 this year, and uh, Batherson, who is 20, turning 21. Yeah, and then guys like Logan Brown, Colin White, Brown turns twenty two this season. I would say they're all twenty one or twenty two. So like this is a core that needs to start going sooner than rather than later. Yeah, because at some point you need to figure out if they're even worth investing more resources in. Because yeah. if Logan Brown needs it to be in the AHL till he's twenty four, doesn't necessarily mean you have to dump him and get rid of him, but it means maybe he's not going to be your number one or two center like you have him penciled in to be. Yeah, exactly. It's the same with Nick Paul. Like, Nick Paul, I thought, could have been a useful bottom six forward. He's already 24 years old, and you just haven't given him a shot. So, odds are, if you don't give him a shot this year, which they're finally kind of starting to, it's not going to... You're going to lose him for nothing. Yeah, and the other thing that would worry me is with age curves and whatnot, it's probably more likely that a player peaks at, like, 22 than 30. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's just basic age curving. Yeah, like... So, if they're not ready now, like... Sure, that, like, that's not everyone, obviously. Yeah. And, like, yeah, there's maybe parts of your game that you can develop. But, like, if you're not ready now, what? Like, I just don't understand the, the thought process of my biggest... I think fans in Ottawa have been scarred by Cody Cece and Curtis Lazar, where those are two prospects that were both very, very rushed in the NHL, but also probably didn't have the talent of NHL caliber. Like, players. Yeah. Like, yes, development probably could have helped them to what not be what they were today. But at the same time... You could also look at the talent. So everyone in Ottawa is so scorned from that, where it's like, no, you need to over-ripen your prospects in the AHL. No, you don't. Like These guys can lose a couple games in the NHL and be fine. Brady Kachuk is looking like an awesome player, and he was on one of the crappiest teams I've ever seen last year. Yeah, even when they lost Stone at the deadline, like that Tom, roster was just horrific. Thomas Shabbat played two years of just absolute garbage hockey, and it looks like he's going to be one of the best defenders in the league. Yep. Like, it, it's not everyone's the same, but this whole thing of prospects can't fail in the NHL for, you know, like, we can't give prospects more than five games in the NHL to figure it out before it's a losing culture and everything is just BS. It's just BS. That's all it is. 
100%. I was fine with sending Batherson down last year. He was horrible when he was up. And then they brought him up at the end of the year. That's good. This year, they should have given him more than two games and 12 minutes of ice time. Because he is also 22 this season. You need to figure out what you've got in him. So, again, if in eight or nine or ten games it's still really, really bad, maybe you go, okay, like, I get he needs to go to the AHL. It's as simple as that. But at some point, he's going to have to come up. You know, yep. you can't, you don't have more than a year or two left with these guys before you, you really need to figure out what you have in them. Yeah, it's so unfair to the player, too, when you do call them up to play them for like 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, Phil Schlappick started the year, he was healthy scratch game two, and in game one, he got five minutes of ice time. And I, there was a great interview that came out with Nick Paul on TSN where one of his biggest things was meditation, he said, helped. It was, he got in the mindset of, like he said when he was up last year was don't make a don't make a mistake don't make a mistake don't <laughs> make a mistake because he knew if he was getting a mistake he was going to get sat and then sent down that is a terrible environment for like like are you kidding me and then you look at how many times the veterans on this team make mistakes it's like okay where's their punishment then like where where's their you know like you can't do that like it's it's just not good like you need to let your young guys try and play yeah having your young players afraid is not a good... No, it's not. It just, like, it blows my mind. I need to say that. Yeah, Batherson turns 22 at the end of this year. April 27th. Yeah, he's but, like, my age. So he's this 21 already. Like, I've done a lot of yelling this episode, <laughs> but, like, it just, this team has just frustrated me to beyond belief. Yeah. And yeah. just, like, I know that the focus isn't on this year. It's on the future years. But th- just the insane amount of overlooking the development of this year and why it might be a little worrying for future years has been mind-blowing to me over sense fans here yeah 100 very few things surprise me on twitter i will say it does throw me off when i see people being like blindly supportive of this team's management no kidding <laughs> like i just i don't get and i get dorian has a shit job dealing oh, with eugene melnick is not a good job but he has screwed it up in so many ways possible so many ways and yes he's had some good but he's also had a lot of bad just a lot a lot of bad yeah like yeah i don't know it just it never it blows my mind but uh, i've done enough ranting for this week <laughs> do you have anything else you need to get to no i think i'm good i'm looking at any other big storylines i don't really have any the kings are back to being the corsi gods for some reason yeah they're and they're four and six it's their record <laughs> Um, Just like near the end of the Daryl Sutter days. I'm trying to think, was there any injuries or anything like that? I don't think any big things. Happened. There hasn't been too many like massive stories, which I also think is part of the reason why Leafs Twitter is such a shit show. Because there's not, there's nothing to a talk ton about. to talk about. Miko Ranton got hurt. Uh, he's yeah. week to week. So, um, but I will say, uh, in terms of Colorado, we'll give them quick. I'm we're pretty much wrapped up here. But uh, Colorado's depth has been huge this year. Um, getting guys like Kadri and Don Skoy and even Burakoski has been massive help for them. Yeah, it turns out having more than one line is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, um, so that has been already starting to pay off in spades, and uh, you like to see it because all of those I thought were really smart hockey moves, um, yep. and, and you like to see teams that are making good hockey moves get rewarded it's like that. So 100%. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, I don't have much to say to you. No, I think I'm good. Right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff. You can find Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. You can find me at LastWordOnHockey.com. Uh, each week I have prediction article comes out Saturday where I predict all uh, the early slate of games usually, and I have rumors come out on Friday. 
and uh, I'm going to try and start writing a little more throughout the weeks here as uh, some more storylines develop. So always stay tuned for that. Uh, Chase, do you have anything to work on? You're working on? I'm sure I will eventually, but no, yeah. I'm in the thick of midterms right now. So that's probably a no, guys. <laughs> it, it's been something for a couple of years. Yeah, it's I, been like I, I'm kidding. I, I'm, oh, it's uh, been like a year and a half plus, probably. I, I'm more kidding though. But uh, yeah. yeah, so follow us on Twitter. Um, as always, uh, share the podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find us anywhere you find your podcasts. Uh, and have a good one. We'll see you all next week. Oh.